On today's episode, we're going to talk about the role that strength and conditioning has with our youth athletes with a special consideration for our youth baseball players. What's the benefit to them incorporating strength training into their overall routine? When should they start? And how should we treat them differently than our adult clientele? Let's go. Welcome to the Sports Rehab Lab Podcast, where you'll hear real talk from real clinicians who treat real sports patients. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Rehab Lab coming back at you uh, with our whole crew here today myself Snay patel pat vignona billy maroney robbie andrews our resident basketball player terrence scroy showed some basketball injuries right there uh today and uh our strength and conditioning expert jamie osmack and uh if you walk into our clinic here in manhattan you're gonna see one of the major constructs that essential for all of our patients, and that is strength. I think we we hound on it with all of our patients, and we see the gamut of all athletes from like high school to college to the professional level. And the advantage that we have in in our facilities that we have in house strength and conditioning specials. So we thought that today's episode should talk about strength and conditioning, and specifically since baseball seasons. In full swing now, we should talk about the youth baseball player uh, and how they should be working on strength a little bit more. But unfortunately, they just don't because they spend so much time, maybe too much time, throwing and working on their game. So, Terrence, you really have a lot of experience with years and everything on the professional basis, but also with the youth level. So let's start it off with you. How have you seen this worked in your youth baseball population? Yeah. So I think it's um, definitely a population that we've been seeing more of. And I mean, just this week, so here's a story for you. Just this week, I had a 12 year old come in. Um, he was coming off of elbow. Uh, he had tricep tendonitis. And I don't know about you guys when you were 12 or 13, but I never got tricep tendonitis. I don't even see four year olds with tricep tendonitis. So he recovers from tricep tendonitis, starts throwing again, gets developed shoulder pain. Um, he bicep tendonitis now, long head of the bicep tendonitis, recovers from that, um, and then still has you know pain and soreness. Comes in, we test his rotator cuff strength, full strength of the cuff, full grip strength, full range of motion of the elbow and shoulder, no no gross impairments of the upper extremity. And then you start looking down the chain. So then you go to the scapula, look at the scap, posterior shoulder endurance test, awful. It gets about fifteen reps with a weight that's two percent of his body weight core, I asked him to do a dead bug, can't do one dead bug, holding his back flat into the table or the floor, um, hip abduction strength is terrible, can't balance on one leg, and can't do a lunge, a dynamic lunge without looking like he's about to tear his ACL. So, you know, to me, and, you know, I've started looking more down the chain the last five or six years or so, but I mean, there's clearly a, a gross strength issue in this younger population. And, you know, we see it a lot and it, it really flushes out, you know, when they come in, they've got elbow or shoulder pain, but usually it's because of something else, in my opinion, down the chain. 
So I guess my question for Jamie being the strength and conditioning guru, as Snake called you in, I think, yeah. episode one or two. It's true. Uh, Don't ever call me that again. <laughs> the guru. So why don't we go to their strength guru, the guru here? So a kid yeah. like this comes into you, Jamie, right? So clearly, um, you know, he's had issues already at the age of 12 uh, playing baseball. So how are you going to address it? What do, you, what do you say to him? How do you evaluate it? So what are your thoughts when this kid comes in? Well, great question. Um, I mean, he seems like he's uh, too far gone at this point. But, you know, I think, you know, first, when you're evaluating a young athlete, um, checking out posture, you know, how, how they're holding themselves, um, how they're holding their shoulders, how do they hold their spine? Do they favor one type of um, kind of position or not? Um, I mean, and that's literally could be in the conversation that you're having with them, just more so evaluating, you know, how they um, hold themselves. Um, you know, and then I think starting with like a good musculoskeletal screen that you're looking at passive and active range of motion, kind of head to toe, try not to miss anything. Um, and, you know, previous, obviously he's 12, but he may have had, you know, multiple ankle sprains, et cetera. There could be other underlining injuries that he may have, you know, sustained in the past that could be, you know, creating um, abnormal movement patterns when it came, comes to like linking the kinetic chain from, you know, lower to the upper um, so I think getting a, a good history is critical as well. Um, you know, and we've spoken about this in the past to really looking at the spine, you know, how well they can actually move their spine. I think more importantly, um, you know, pelvic tilting, et cetera, you know, but I mean, the majority of these young athletes, what you're going to find is they do have a weak core, you know, they have weak scap stabilizers. They have weak, um, hip ab abduction strength. They have weak hip stabilization. They have a flared rib cage. They kind of hyperextend their back. They have an inability to move their pelvis. I mean, you know, you can kind of pick off all of those sort of things, but I think getting a rough idea of where to start is really basic. Um, you know, getting the basic movements, you know, really solid and down, I think is key. Squat patterns, hinge patterns, push-pull patterns, uh, you know, how that kind of couples with spinal positioning. I think all of that's kind of critical when it comes to the young athlete. Um, you know, so I think education and form it's kind of the first first things you should really be looking at with that type of athlete. Obviously, you know, that he's obviously had some issues already. So there's going to be a little bit of uh, physical therapy. But that's where you come in to explain all these things, right? Jamie, what do you think about, like, just in general, how important is strength training for youth baseball players? And, you know, for the people who go that route and they are doing that strength training, what are some of the benefits that you see from those individuals that come in and get strength training first? Yeah, I think, I think strength training is, is very important, especially when you have athletes that are playing one sport or maybe just two sports um, that are heavily asymmetrical. I think you start to build these asymmetrical tendencies in the sport that may be uh, uh, positive in the sense of mechanical adaptations for the sport but if we start going down that road too far, you know, where do those sort of adaptations start to become dysfunction and then dysfunctional movement becomes injury. Um, so I think where strength and conditioning comes in is you start to get an idea of kind of how are they moving from those asymmetrical sports. And then you can develop a program that can start to normalize or bring things back into more of uh, kind of he healthy ranges to some extent. Um, so that's where I think strength and conditioning can really be worth a tremendous amount when it comes to these young athletes. And I think, you know, for long-term athletic development, you know, in injury prevention, you know, the stronger athletes typically don't get hurt as much. So I think if you think of just um, strength training and just strength, getting stronger in general as, um, as much of a, a 
um, a performance enhancing aspect. It is also an injury prevention aspect as well. So, you know, I, I think they all should be on some kind of strength program. Uh, I think the timing of that and, and how that's implemented, I think is obviously critical. So. Jamie, what, can you talk about uh, growth plates? Because obviously a lot of our athletes are younger, like Terrence talked about a 12-year-old, and the the myth or is it not a myth about weight training and in adolescence with with open physis? Yes. I, you know, I think young athletes can strength train. I think it needs to be super, supervised. I think the loads need to be managed. Um, I think form first. You know, I, I, when it comes, when it comes to growth plates, I think that is somewhat of a myth at this point. I don't think there has been too many growth plate injuries with strength training, or it has not necessarily been documented. I think there's maybe a few in the literature from really like overloading uh, tissue and, and essentially doing too much too fast too soon. So I think the education purpose of, or the education part um, from getting a good strength conditioning professional or or a physical therapist that's going to be really overseeing those type of movement patterns, making sure that you're doing them correctly and with the appropriate uh, load for that young athlete, I think is critical. And I know, Jamie, you mentioned, obviously, very important that, you know, technique is correct and the load is correct. So what are some of the things that you're concerned about if these young athletes get overloaded? Yeah. So I think if they get overloaded, um, they may get pushed to ranges of motion that they don't have control in. I mean, I, I, I'll always think back, um, to myself going back into the weight room when I was a young athlete and, you know, you're lifting one, especially with guys, right. With young men, young boys that are starting to strength train and they're sort of pushing each other. I still remember I had my two buddies that I thought they were my buddies at the time. They, they gave me 20 pounds heavier than really what I can manage. They both hoisted me up at the top these dumbbells crashed down as fast as they possibly could and could have, I mean, I could have really injured myself. And I think that's kind of the thought behind it, right? If, if the weight's too high, right, you can get into pushed into positions at a rapid rate and it could be incredibly detrimental for their long-term athletic development and, and sports in general, right? The last thing you want is an athlete to show up in the weight room and be injured when they're leaving. I mean, that's, that's obviously what we're not there for. We're there to build strength over time. And I think when it comes to too heavy of loads, you can get into some um, some bad situations quickly. And yeah, I mean, you see it on Instagram constantly, right? I mean, I feel like half my feed is just athletes um, overdoing it and uh, you know getting some bad results from it. But yeah, so Jamie, then if we go back to this baseball, the baseball world and the baseball aspect. So if we focus on baseball and say, you know, this athlete that I brought up uh, earlier in the podcast. So again, 12 year old comes in history of shoulder elbow problems that's cleared up now, but still inability to throw. Um, where are you going to target first? So clearly core weakness, leg weakness, um, uh, flexibility issues, anterior chain, so like hips are tight. So what is your sort of biggest sort of ticket item that you're going to target first to try and get him back on track? Yeah. Great. I mean, great question. I think it's probably a combination of uh, a lot of what you just mentioned. Um, you know, I think attacking obviously flexibility is going to be one portion of it. Um, right. So you have different foam rolling modalities that you can do and stretches on top of that. But I think also just going through full ranges of motion on just strength, strength exercises. I have shown to develop great flexibility as well. Um, you know, thinking about the young athlete, though, going through growth spurts, et cetera, um, you know, bones are growing a little bit quicker than tissue extensibility. I think things start to get tighter. 
you know, that's where I do think some of the myofascial release type of movement or type of things can really benefit for flexibility, you know, but I think getting a good structured strength program that's going to be heavily core based and more on the calisthenic base or body weight movement pattern base, um, you know, core, core, like dead bug positions, plank positions, lateral plank positions, but being very mindful of kind of where their spine is in space while they're holding those positions, I think is critical. You know, I think spinal education, cat, cows, bird dogs, as you know, silly as it may seem for some kids, but I think getting an idea of where you are in space is kind of key when you're that young, you know, and if you want to have a, a long lasting career in that sport, and then you start to develop into more of those barbell lifts and heavier lifts, you know, you, I, I pray that you had done that work when you were younger and got the form down at, in the beginning with your squat patterns, your hinge patterns, your push pull patterns, your, where your shoulder blades are in, in space when you're just doing a push up. I mean, I think all of these things are things to be considered. Um, now it's not going to necessarily look perfect with kids. So I think if you overanalyze and you just kind of keep regressing, regressing, you know, there, there's going to be uh, a happy medium when it comes to form. And I think um, as long as you're conscious of it and you're trying to give the right cues, letting the young athletes kind of figure the form out, as long as, again, it's more calisthenic based or it's body weight movements, I think it, that could be really worth a tremendous amount, you know, as far as uh, long-term athletic development for them. I, mean, I think that's a great point you brought up about uh, growth spurts because, I mean, this particular kid, that's what I asked him. And anyone between 12 and 16, I typically will ask if they've gone through a recent growth spurt. And most of the time, the answer is yes, right? So at some point, they're hitting their peak velocity uh, growth you know, within that window. So a lot of times, you'll see these kids come in and they may present as being very tight. But if they go through that growth spurt, it might be increased tone, right? Could be because of decreased you know, stabilization of the core, the hips, or whatever body part that is. So, I mean, I think the I mean, the key takeaway, I think right here is that you're not starting with, you know, throwing maneuvers, you're not throwing with plot, you're not starting with plyometrics for this kid. You're, we're starting with that. We're going all the way back to the foundation. We're trying to build these young kids and set them up for success from the start. And I think a lot of that's the education too for these athletes, right? So they come in with a baseball injury. I think a lot of them are expecting baseball exercises out of the shoot or out of the gate. So, um, you know, how do you explain to them, like, this is going to prepare you? And I know from my standpoint, it's, I'll try it with the younger kids that might not understand this. I'll try and, you know, associate it with performance, right? So yes, we will prevent injury and we will get you out of injury, but we also are going to help you perform better down the road. So do you say something similar or how do you attack that with the youth, you know, kids or the parents that might not, you know, completely get it? hundred percent, you know, and most of them are, are in our clinic because they're injured, right? But they don't want to talk about injury and they don't want to talk about being hurt, right? So I never try to associate, I'll, uh, to the parents, I'll associate the exercises to injury prevention. But to the young athlete, when I'm talking to him or her, um, I'm speaking in more of the sense of this is all performance enhancing. And I try to explain even to the littlest bit, whatever the exercise is, I try to explain how it develops a kinetic chain, how it can develop speed, how they can be quicker, how they can cut faster, how they can run faster, how they can throw harder. I think um, that's what's going to perk their their ears up. That's what's going to get them to have buy-in because I think buy-in is critical. Yeah, in all honesty, thing, I mean, these kids, yeah. they don't they don't want to know how to prevent an injury two years from now. No. They want to know how to throw harder. They want to know how to yeah. throw 70 miles an hour when they're 12 or 95 miles an hour when they're 16. That's what they want to know how to do. A hundred percent. And, you know, but to that same point, though, if 
good structured training or good mechanics, right, is as much of injury prevention as it is for performance enhancing. And, you know, I think if you can harp on that, because again, buy-in, right? If the worst is when you have the young athlete that is disinterested because they're not connecting the dots on how this is going to make them better. Right. I mean, it may, yeah. It's like a twofold thing. You're, you're performance enhancing, but on the back end of it, it is injury prevention, what you're doing at the end of the day. Totally. That's how it sells it to both. (laughs) (laughs) Billy, I think you parents and kids, parents and children. With that being said, I know you mentioned, I mean, form is key and kind of bringing them into exercises, but with this youth group, are there any other specific safety considerations you make um, that maybe is a little different than the adult athlete? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think um, the amount of sets, the amount of reps, I think is kind of key. I think if you have the rep range kind of high enough in most of the movement patterns, um, and you keep the the amount of sets somewhat low and keep it somewhat interesting and, and varying the amount of exercises that you're doing that maybe are always somewhat targeting the same tissue, I think is um, probably a better way to approach a young athlete versus maybe more of your seasoned athlete that you're going to have like your, you know, three more structured lifts with more sets and, and lower loads for more like building sh- strength capacity in that sense. Um, but, you know, I think it, it's very similar, though. I think... Movements, movement, um, whether it's a squat, a bodyweight squat, or it's a 300-pound squat, um, I think the form kind of applies, and, it, and it's very similar. You know, so I think if you're, if you're teaching it correctly in both settings, I think it's going to prepare them for that heavier loads. Um, you know, I think, I think the biggest thing with most of these athletes is identifying really where their weak links are you know, addressing the, the anterior chain just as much as the, the posterior chain, I think is kind of critical that sometimes gets overlooked. Um, you know, and then I think a lot of like kinetic exercises and kinetic linking exercises that are just going to be toes and elbows on the ground for planking positions, um, lifting opposite arms and legs. So the cross links have to fire a little bit more, um, you know, and, and varying the movements I think is kind of key when it comes to younger athletes, um, that might not have that kind of movement IQ, um, so, you know, a lot of variat- variability for these younger athletes, um, higher rep ranges so they can really start to kind of understand the patterns of the movements. Um, you know, you could vary the, the tempo of the training as well. So sometimes a little bit quicker, sometimes low and s- slow and steady, sometimes holds. Um, you know, and again, just always harping on the fact of why we're doing something and, and how it's going to translate to the sport. I think is kind of critical. Um, I don't know if that answered what you asked yeah. me, but no, and I think that's a key comment you just made <laughs> Some going of it. back to what you said. I mean, the word variability, especially with these athletes that are playing just one sport. I mean, that's what's yeah. robbed of them when they do play just one sport. So I think that's really yeah. smart you know, to incorporate more of that into their training program. Especially, especially when they're very young, you know, yeah. skipping, you know, single leg hopping, sure. things things that are um things that are that are a little bit more fundamental, I think is is key for for the more the younger younger athlete so because we will get them i mean we get 10 year olds so unfortunately i mean all all, all too common jamie uh we we were were talking about buying before i mean if you gotta i mean how do you keep a kid you know motivated throughout a session you know just for context you have a upper east side kid young baseball player coming in and he's thinking about you know Fortnite, and he's too cool to be working out with you right now how do you keep him motivated? How do you keep him engaged? Yeah, I think, you know, it. that's the trickiest thing. I And I 
I've found over the years of doing this uh, conversation, right? If they like Fortnite, I don't really know much about, about it, but I'll probably look up a little bit about it so I could talk about it, right? Because the moment that you can get them on, or you could be on the same page as them, right? Then they'll be on the same page as you, right? And, and then they'll have a little bit more buy-in to do the things that you're saying for them to do, right? So I think if, you're, if you try to kind of remove yourself as I'm just more of the, you know, the trainer or the, the exercise physiologist, et cetera, or yeah, or, or I'm above them, um, it, that just doesn't work. Uh, yeah. but, but, you know, in some cases, sometimes that does work. And I think reading the room quickly when you're working with anyone, I think that's kind of key, but especially with kids, um, cause, cause you know, when you went off the wrong route and they're completely <laughs> disinterested, right? Like you show them, you your, uh, them show the their Jordan collection. Maybe, uh, you maybe they'll the think they're cool. No, real quick, completely <laughs> yeah. off topic, but yeah. I, uh, I put on a pair of Jordans today. My son goes, daddy, you are not cool. These don't look good on you. I was like, all right, I guess. Uh, so we've been trying to tell is you. A, is, that, is, that, is that before? Is that before or after you threw a basketball in your Monarchs face? Monarchs, it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about the basketball incident later. I'm going to get the hey, Monarch Jamie, so, golf shoes. Yeah, Jamie, I had a question. So, you know, youth baseball player comes in. I know that you uh, pair up with Terrence and Robbie, and you, you know they'll do the biomechanical like throwing assessment. You'll do the strength and conditioning assessment afterwards. But when it, when a kid like this walks in. Are there any common impairments that you see or, or things where you're just thinking in your head, like, you know what, I'm going to attack this with all of my youth baseball players. They, they mostly all have these injuries. They all have these impairments. Are there any common impairments you see? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I think probably the most common things you're going to see with a young athlete is you're going to see poor scap stabilization um, poor anterior core strength and poor lateral hip strength. I mean, I, we're probably going to say that a lot on this this pod, but it it does kind of ring true with a lot of your younger athletes, especially I think with your young baseball players that you know maybe are are fairly decent at baseball and right they they can throw pretty hard, they seem to hit pretty well, you know they're a little bit more mobile, right? So they have a little bit more range of motion. Their shoulders are a little looser, right? They're, they can separate their spine a little bit more, you know, but with that being said, right, they're more of the, your stability athlete that needs more stabilization. Um, you know, with that, with that brings those ribs flared individuals, maybe a little bit of a flatter thoracic spine, trying to kind of draw shoulder blades back to try to keep good posture, more of an anterior pelvic tilt, the pelvis. It's not always though, but I think a, a lot of times it is. Um, and just being able to, connect like the serratus interior with the oblique lines in the front and getting a little bit stronger through, through those kinetic chain, those kinetic links, it can, can really be very advantageous for their sport. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for the majority, I think when it comes to baseball, um, they're, they're a little bit more flexible, a little looser, uh, you know, a little, not as much kind of tone or tight, um, than some of the other athletes you might see. So, so I think, I think that with that being said, you know, addressing the athlete of, is it a stabilization issue? Is, do they have a mobility issue? Is a combination of the two? Um, where do you need to address either? Uh, and then trying to restore, you know, proper function is kind of yeah. key. I got to agree a hundred percent. I mean, out of all these youth kids that we've seen, I mean, when, they walk, when they walk in the yeah. door and, you know, maybe it's honestly, 
just a, a product of where we work, right? So Manhattan. And I wonder if the youth athletes in Manhattan are different than the youth athletes in Iowa, right? Because you see yeah, some of these kids. Of Pennsylvania. And I, in all honesty, you see some of these kids coming, even the minor leaguers. And we've got a couple kids from the, not even the Midwest, but like the farm states. And they are big boys, right? You don't see people like that around us. But That's I wonder strong. if, you know, these kids have heavy backpacks or rolling, you know, luggage to school, their private schools. They've got horrible posture. They all have horrible posture. They're all sort of sitting there slumped on the table. So you know from the start that these kids have terrible scapular stabilization. Core is terrible. I mean, you're it's amazing they can actually stand up during the day. So, I mean, without a doubt, you know, terrible scap stabilization. <laughs> Robbie yeah, Rob, yeah, Rob, was so shocked. Robbie's room is falling apart there. For all of you that don't know, Robbie's jersey that, that hangs on the back wall just fell on his head. So we're all good. Well, that's what happens when you put it up with scotch tape, Robbie. So, so yeah, back to this. I mean, they all look the same. And I can tell you the top the top five things, right? Posture is awful. Core is awful. Hips are weak. There'll be some tightness, like anterior, you know, hip tightness or chain tightness just from sitting. They're playing their video games or sitting in school. They're not moving. They're not walking. I mean, it's 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 mostly the same. They're all hypermobile. They're loose and they need some of that general, you know, stability like into their body and they don't get that. And they try and do all these fancy exercises. Again, back to the Instagram exercise, the weighted balls. They all want to jump to that, but they don't even have close to enough control or minor leaguers don't have enough control to do that sometimes. So all these kids, I mean, to Jamie's point, you know, they need that foundational strength. And I think the goal is to keep them interested. Well, I think one, make them realize why they need it. And that's going to, yes, improve performance. And I think linking it to the performance is so important. So you get the buy-in from the athletes or the families or the parents. And then, yeah, I mean, you've got to hit the basics. I mean, the core, the hip, basic mobility stuff, and then shoulder stabilization. And the last thing that I ever get to is really the shoulder and the elbow. It's just the end of the chain. Right, so the shoulder and elbow just have to be strong enough to get the force from the lower body and the core, and get it out the hand to the ball. So, you know, I'd say early on, I personally spend most of my time with core stabilization. They've got the biofeedback bladder under their back, or just pressing their back. Just focus on pressing the back into a table, doing a pelvic tilt. You'd be shocked how many kids can't do a pelvic tilt. I, so, the majority can't. Yeah, I mean, exactly, it's, it's, it's alarming. And you know. And when you ask them to, right, you ask them to tuck their pelvis under to a posterior tilt, they go into more of an anterior tilt, right? So it's it's like exact opposite, right? And then you see this the spondies and the the low back yeah. issues with a lot of these athletes. Um, you know, it's really if you just get the basics down in the beginning, um, yeah. you know, it it really will be worth it in the end. Jamie, one more question for you because this is diff- this is something for me. I don't know why it's so hard, and I hope I'm not the only one that has this problem. But you know, if I ask a 20 year old baseball player to do pelvic tilt, they've got it. 30 year old, they've got it. If I ask anyone from 12 to 15, they have no idea how to do it, and I feel like I just personally can't even cue it properly. Like, I don't know why I can't get them to do it properly. So, do you have any tips or cues that you use to get some of these younger athletes that probably have never done it before? Um, you know, get into a proper pelvic tilt. Yeah, um, it's hard, and I've you know it's been what eleven. It seems years so simple, but why is it so hard? It no, I know it seems so simple. Um, a lot of external cues. I try to first and foremost external. So not like you try to roll your pelvis under. I think I my go to cue is if you had a belt buckle on, draw the belt buckle up towards your chin, 
if you had a belt buckle on, draw the belt buckle down to the ground. It's not that easy though, right? So if they're standing and it looks like there's just steam coming out of their ears, trying to figure this out and they're not moving and like holding their breath, you got to regress, right? Because you'll just keep asking them. It's not going to go well. And then if you start losing them on this very quickly, they're going to be absolutely disinterested. And they're going to be like, what is he asking me to do right now? And I don't want to do this. So, you know, regressing. So if they can't do it standing, I'll have them sit on a, like a physio ball and I'll have them try to roll their pelvis on a physio ball. Think about like just doing like a crunch and drawing that belt buckle up towards your chin. If they don't get it there, right, I'll lay them on their back. I'll have them flatten their back to the ground and ask them just to lift their hips off the ground, but try to keep their lower back on the ground. And they'll start to get the idea of that little posterior pelvic tilt. But it, it is very difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you have to you have to regress. You have to regress quickly. I think it's incredibly important to get that through to them so that they start understanding how to use that type of movement because chances are they can do the movement in certain aspects of sport, right? So when they're coming through and they're swinging with a bat, chances are if you took a snapshot of some of these kids, they probably are tucking under and they're using the right musculature, right? But they don't know how to voluntarily move it themselves, right? So which is not good when it comes to how are we going to transfer proper movement mechanics to their strength program if they don't understand how to move themselves in space they may have taught themselves how to do it correctly in certain sports over time right by watching athletes etc watching baseball and slow-mo etc right so i think having that translation of movement into just freestanding movement and then having like a higher movement iq if you want to like call it something i think it's something to think about with a with a lot of these young athletes for you know, the long haul. That's great. <clears throat> great discussion. So Jamie, I got a couple questions for you real quick. Mets Yankees. I mean, I've always been a Yankees fan, but oh, I guess boo. I gotta be a Mets oh, fan, yeah, but yeah, oh, what an awful, but, but things uh, are, no, it was, it was one, well. one, you, one can, you can be a Yankees uh, fan. Uh, that's, there's a whole nother podcast. Uh, uh, best okay. position on the baseball diamond. Pitcher. Favorite baseball player growing up. Oh, um, O'Neal. Oh, that's good one. That's oh. Paul Neal snapping out. bats over All right, his head. That's it. That wraps this thing up. Enough. I've heard Jamie. enough. Jamie, thanks. Jesus. Thanks a lot. I mean, a lot of yeah. good information. A lot of good information for our audience out there on just strength and conditioning for our youth athletes, for youth baseball pitchers. Uh, again, thanks everyone for tuning in today. Like, subscribe, comment on the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, and whatever you listen to us on, and always ask us questions. Uh, we love hearing from you. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Sports Rehab Lab podcast. Like, rate, and subscribe. And please ask us questions by DMing us on our Instagram page at Sports Rehab Lab.